Welcome to the JMS Podcast with Jorge M. Sanchez. Thank you for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. We have another great episode. This episode, we have Rob Roy. That's right. Rob Roy has been here twice before, and now he's making his third appearance. He's a good friend of mine. He helped me start my comedy career, and it's glad that he stopped by. It's really rare. Rob Roy is one of those people where he comes like the wind, and he goes like the wind. So I was very lucky to have him uh, stop by and, uh, and have a good chat. Good chat about comedy. I am not doing so well in this heat, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not sure where you're listening from, but here in San Jose, California, it is burning up. I am barely surviving the heat. And honestly, I didn't think this podcast was going to be uploaded on time. I even uh, put out a Twitter, uh, a tweet on Twitter because apparently uh, Comcast had a blackout. Yeah, that was weird. That was the first time it ever happened. Usually where I, I live here in northern San Jose, I get a lot of blackouts in the when it, on hot weather. And weirdly enough, we didn't get a blackout. Uh, at least, you know, electricity-wise, but we did get a blackout from the internet. And it was just not in the residential areas. It was also in the surrounding restaurants. So that that was interesting, trying to trying to eat out and and, and only to find out that uh, that you basically you got free food because they couldn't charge you. Who knew? A lot of them closed down early. Felt pretty bad for those folks, but I did enjoy the free food. That's for sure. All right, but before we go to Rob Roy, we have a movie review from the one and only Jacob Wheels. Uh, this is an old recording of uh, The Planet. Not, not The Planet. Man, I get these movies all mixed up. War of the Planet of the Apes. There you go. Uh, Jacob Wheels reviews War of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, like uh, I was mentioning for a quick second ago, is this is a late publishing of this review because I got busy. I'm not sure if you noticed, but uh, I managed to get together all four new segments at the JMS podcast, and it took me a while to get all, the, all those things together and, and all that jazz. So uh, this review was pushed back. And the only reason why I'm airing it now instead of getting rid of it is because this film has been getting a lot of attraction. Now that Oscar season's around the corner, some people are saying that this film is worth a, an Oscar nomination. So I think it'll be interesting to hear what our very own film critic Jacob Wheels has to say about that. And uh, please support the JMS podcast by tuning in on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio. You can also follow the JMS Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And also, I just revamped the Patreon account. Please, people, support this JMS Podcast on Patreon. You get some great rewards just by donating. Alright, let's check out this review of War of the Planet of the Apes with Jacob Wheels. Welcome to another Wheels on Reels with Jacob Wheels. That's me. The best film critic in San Jose. Look. I am the best film critic in San Jose. Hey, nobody's denying I, that. I, Has someone challenged you yet? Not yet. On that claim? I mean, look. you can If you want to catch me outside, as the kids say nowadays, you can meet me at Oak Ridge Mall in front of the kiosk that you buy your movie tickets. We'll rumble it out. We'll, 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 we'll have the good old-fashioned fisticuffs. <laughs> All right, we'll fight, and then whoever you know, I'm gonna be wearing my shirt. I'm gonna be wearing the JMS podcast shirt. Uh-huh. If you can take that shirt off of my cold dead body, then you would have to buy a movie ticket because I don't get. Because let's face it, this is out of pocket. 
<laughs> all right this is out of pocket right uh it's a it's a labor of love it's it's something all right but you're gonna look you take the shirt you pay for the ticket you watch the movie all right all right right. sounds good so if if you want to challenge jacob wheels catch me outside just email jmspodcast at gmo.com and we'll make it happen yeah you can also go to the twitter we might pay-per-view it pay-per-view oh yeah yeah oh man am i uh, is that how we're gonna pay for my movie tickets exactly because shit all right man anyone What, what what movie are we talking about today i don't want people to find me you know what, Jorge, if anyone wants to challenge me, we can have a war. Okay. A war of the planet of the apes. Wow, you proud of that one? Yeah. I'm never proud, uh, let's be honest. So, War of the Planet of the Apes, yep. this was directed by Matt Reeves, the guy that made Cloverfield. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he, he, oh. made, he made the previous, also, uh, a recent uh, reboot of Planet of the Apes, right? Yeah, yeah, the second of the Planet of the Apes. Which I heard was pretty good, I have yet to see. I liked it. Yeah? It was good. But fuck this movie. You didn't like it? No. Hold on, but hold on. So far, this movie has garnished so much praise. Yeah, and people are stupid on, on so many levels. Yeah, well, you know, but even 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 a film like this, a blockbuster, has been getting this is not a blockbuster, getting favorable reviews by film critics. Mm-hmm. Even yeah, uh, and, and uh, it's like everybody loves this film and everybody's praising it. And you come here to my podcast studio, oh, well, okay, and you say it's not a good enough. Movie. I didn't like it. You don't I, like it? It didn't live up to my expectations. First of all, it has Woody Harrison in it. Yeah. All right? Already, that's like, okay, something something interesting is going to yeah. happen. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, off sure. the bat, I feel like the special effacts in the trailer look really They're good. They're amazing. Um, so what did what happened? Okay. Let me break it down for you. Uh, would you consider uh, Schindler's List a war movie? Yeah. A war movie or a wartime movie? Um. Okay, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, period, a, war it's a period piece that yes. takes place in a time of war. So this movie had as much to do with war as Schindler's List had something to do with war. Okay. So when you hear War of the Planet of the Apes, what do you expect? You expect monkeys with fucking grenade launchers and monkeys with shotguns and humans shooting monkeys and monkeys shooting humans. That's exactly what I just and saw in the trailer, dude. Yes. But that's like, there's like a total of like 20 minutes of that shit in this two hour long movie. Oh wow, two hours? I don't know if it's two hours. Interesting. I didn't do my research. Okay. I couldn't do my research. So there was not enough action for you. Look, if you're gonna call, it, okay, it's it's a hundred and forty minutes. So, give or take. Mm-hmm. Um, look, if you're gonna call it War of the Planet of the Apes, like the second movie, I think the second movie should have been called War of the Planet of the Apes, because there's some shit. Cause shit went down. You know what I mean? Like shit was this. It was crazy. Like it was this war between man and. And ape, and they were pounding fists. You know what I mean? Ow. Mm-hmm. Um, you okay? You hurt yourself there? Yeah, yeah. I was punching my fists. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this movie just didn't have... Like, it didn't live up to the title? Does that make any sense? You shouldn't judge a book by its cover, neither should you judge a movie by its title. Yeah, well, I did. <laughs> I did. I saw this movie in D-Box. I was sorely disappointed <laughs> that there wasn't an action, enough action for D-Box. There, there wasn't enough vibrations for you? No. No. Half this movie was like, okay, it started off really good. Yeah. You know, people in the forest, monkeys joining the humans to battle the apes. Mm-hmm. Or apes battling, you know, battle, apes battling apes. Apes on horses. Apes throwing Molotov cocktails. That's in the beginning? That's in the beginning. Cool. All right. And then after that, it's like sign language. Everyone's sign languaging. And you have to, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like like 20 minute dialogue scenes with sign language and one guy's like I'm an ape you know like it, it's just it was very frustrating you know what I mean so you found that boring 
I didn't find it boring. I was just like, I don't know. They should have called this uh, uh, Caesar's list. You know what I mean? Hmm. Okay, so I'm going to spoil some shit. Go All right. Um, the monkeys end up getting in, encamped, entrapped. What's the word I'm looking for, Jorge? Oh, okay. They put in, 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 in concentration, concentration camps. camps. Okay. Right? So, like, it's like they steal, they kill his family, and then, like, he goes off on this journey, but they, they're trying to get away, but then they end up getting caught. Or, like, the whole tribe is trying to move, but they end up getting caught by Woody Harrelson and putting in his concentration camps. And, you know, it's, it's all good, whatever. And who is Woody Harrelson in this movie? Okay, so Woody Harrelson is just some crazy dude, right? He's, his son died because of the apes, because of the ape infection. And he's like, you know, I'm going to take out the apes because apes... Is he like a general or something? I, I don't know what he was. Uh, It's probably in his title. He's a colon, colonel. colonel. Okay. Yeah, is that how you say? Colonel? Colonel. C-O-L-O-N-E-L? Well, think of KFC. Okay. Now I'm just hungry. But they have a colonel. Anyway, okay, so this movie... Okay, so he's the colonel, like he's... So you get this military guy yeah. bu- building concentration camps and and uh, pretty much putting apes in there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Which, I mean, is a good, it's a good idea. I'm not saying it was a bad idea. Uh, but he comes in there, he's like trying to find Caesar for some reason. I forgot. He There's this whole monologue. Uh, this, <laughs> I just tuned out. I tuned out. Okay, like <laughs> my movie going experience was... I'll tell, I'll get to that later. Was this in Oak Ridge? This was in uh, Union Landing in Union City. Oh, because okay. I hadn't watched it in D Box. Okay, um, you traveled far. I just traveled, to watch this movie yes, in D Box, and I was sorely disappointed. Oh, I was eating God. a steak sandwich afterwards, just with my head down, uh-huh. slowly eating a steak sandwich. Okay, all right. So, so you tuned out for most of the dialogue. No, okay. I'll, I'll get to that later. Okay, just we'll get to that. So. We'll get back to Woody Harrelson. He's like this guy. Like he goes, he tries to capture, tries to capture Caesar, the main, the main monkey. But the thing that bothers me is like they weren't. I don't think they were trying to homage, do a, an homage to uh, Apocalypse Now. Well, in the trailer, I saw an homage to uh, to the Kubrick film, uh, um, the Vietnam film. Fuck it, uh, Full Metal. Full Metal Jacket, you know, because yep. they they had the uh, the helmets, they the the mm-hmm. markered in like you know kill apes. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. So in this case, how, how did they? But uh, they like made like they made Willie Harrelson gain like five pounds, like in a pocket, like uh, what's that Marlon Brando? Like Marlon Brando, like he's they cover half his face in shadow, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I know what you're doing, filmmaker. Don't try to pull this shit over me. I seen that movie. All right, I'm a, I'm a big fat guy in the shadows, and then he repels into a fucking waterfall. Like, don't try to pull this shit over me, all right? I know what you're doing. And then there's this one scene later on. They're in the sewers, right? And someone wrote... there. Okay, so there had to be a scene where a bunch of teenagers were in the sewers with spray cans. And they and they, they spray they spray paint Apocalypse now. Like, it wasn't obvious what they were doing. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Planet of the Apes and Apocalypse now. Like, there had to be a scene where teenagers were in the... Teenager, in this world, teenagers were in underground graffiti. And I don't know why that pissed me off so much. Well, Be- why were they graffitiing rocks? Well, it was the, the the walls of the of the sewers. Oh, okay. Like if they weren't, if it wasn't clear enough of what they were trying to do, of which character they're trying to rip off, Marlon Brando's character, mm-hmm. like they're just hammering it down. Like, hey, you didn't get what we were doing. Fucking ape apocalypse! I just blew out the speaker. I apologize. It's okay. Um, just put the pop filter a little, little, a little covering. Cover that. There you go. There yeah. we go. Ape apocalypse. There you Jorge. go. Okay. I like puns. Uh-huh. But fuck this movie. 
Okay, wow, all right. You got such Anyways, a strong reaction. Uh, I was just like, oh, like I don't know. Maybe the maybe maybe it was the movie going experience. Maybe the stars didn't align. Maybe Saturn didn't line up with Jupiter. Didn't line up with the Earth. Were there any bright spots in this movie? Cinematography was amazing. Okay. The the animation. Okay, the animation amazing. Okay. Cinematography amazing. I'm just saying amazing. Every this movie looked beautiful. Uh-huh. I loved it. Okay. You know what I mean? And then just like halfway through the movie, they fucking Jar Jar Binks it. Why? How? Because they added they added another character halfway through, which is a, another monkey that can talk English. Okay. That can speak English. Um, and he's like this goofy kind of Jar Jar Binks character who's like, man, I was born in a... Oh, God. Give me a second. <laughs> he's a monkey character and he's like, I was born in... I was in, raised in the zoo. I learned how to uh, learn English, speak English in a zoo. And he's just like this goofy like Jar Jar Binks character. Like he wasn't as bad as annoying, but like it was still kind of like... Ah, we didn't need you. We didn't need you, Steve Zahn. He's played by Steve Zahn. Mm. Uh, but yeah, like I feel like... Uh, I mean, it's a good idea. I thought it was kind of a cool idea. They had a lot of good ideas. But they just didn't execute them as well as I, I was hoping for. Oh, man. You know what I mean? All right. How, how would... Uh... And look, okay. So, like, there's this big... Okay. There's, like... There's no war. Where's the war, Jorge? Hmm. Where's the pain and suffering? Well, I saw in the trailer. They had helicopters and shit. They pretty much showed all the war scenes in the trailer. Okay. But imagine... Okay, so imagine watching the trailer. We'll play it for a little bit, and then we'll stop, and we'll start doing sign language, and, like, emoting in sign language about how some guy just died... Mm. And we'll do that for like 30 minutes And then we'll go play another action scene And then we'll stop it It sounds to me like You're dinging on this film For something that everybody asked for It's uneven Which is is character development It's uneven Like even the music too I had something wrong with it They they try to do like a throwback Like 80's Planet of the Apes soundtrack You know what I mean Like he's running through the jungle And it's like and it's just like, oh, that's so that's such an uneven score for this movie. Mm. And it's like I can tell what you were doing. I know exactly what they were trying to do. And it just pissed me off. I'm getting hot, Jorge. I'm yeah. getting hot. Yeah, you, I'm going through like men, like movie menopause right now. Yeah, you, you just oh. this film really riled you up. Look, my movie going experience was horrible too. What happened? You know, okay, so I paid for D box. Yeah. There wasn't that much action in it. My friend's chair was squeaking, yeah. which was kind of funny, actually. And, like, even the kids in the back that were sitting in there, they were fucking talking. These little fucking, these little, like, pre-teenage girls were talking and stuff. You know what the most exciting... Okay, so, like, they were talking. Everyone in the theater was pissed off because, like, these girls didn't shut the hell up. I literally... The most exciting part of this movie is when I when I went on my phone, I, I found a picture that said, please be quiet. And I had to wave it behind me to the dad... And I was like waving it, and I made eye contact with the dad, and dad's like, "Oh shit, my kids are talking during this movie." Oh, and like that's when my heart started pumping. He's like, "Oh shit, where's it gonna go?" <laughs> yeah, I was like, "I don't know who's behind me. I'm gonna be like, I try to be as, I try to be as as nice as possible. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? I said, please be quiet. You know what I mean? To the guy, I I shined my phone behind us. Why the guy, not the girls? Well, I I saw the dad there. I feel like the dad had control over the little girls. How old were they? They were probably like. I don't know, 10, 12, tweens. Jacob Wheels, cracking down on those teens. <laughs> talking These kids, the movie. look, if you're going to take kids to the movie, like, take them to see the Emoji movie. Mm-hmm. All right, don't bring them to the Planet Eve. I'm not saying it's a bad film. I'm just saying the title was really misleading. Okay. Like, if you would have called this, okay, I don't know what the, the film series is. 
It's I know there's Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Uh-huh. Uh, there's War of the Planet of the Apes, and there's another movie of the Planet of the Apes. I'm pretty sure it was Planet of the Apes. No, no, it wasn't Planet of the Apes. I think it was. I think it was Rise. So Rise was the first one. Uh, taxation representation was the second of the Apes was the second one. Wow. Um. Yeah, Dawn of the Planet. Dawn of, Apes. of the Planet. Of the Apes. Okay, so the first movie should have been called Dawn. Second movie should have been called War. And then the last movie should have been called Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Interesting. Uh, that's not entirely my thought. I've heard, I read a tweet that said that, you know, this should have been called this movie, mm. of the Planet of the Apes. And look, man, it was just so uneven. I knew what they were doing. All right, they had really cool ideas. But it's just like, they didn't execute them as well as I thought. You do realize you're in the minority here, right? Yeah, I know I'm Mexican. Calm down. No, I mean, like, you're in the minority of opinion when it comes yeah, to this film. Yeah, I know, I know. Because I I, everybody I've talked to love it. It's it's fine. It's not the best Planet of the Apes movie. Uh, actually, they're kind of they're kind of uh, advertising Well, guess way. what? They're wrong. They're actually saying it's one of the best uh, uh, blockbuster movies in, like, in a while. Okay, it's not a summer movie. Can I can I think that? I, I probably would have enjoyed this if I would have saw it during, like, the fall? Oscar season? Yeah. So it's an Oscar-worthy film. You know what the the, the act that okay. So the acting was really good. Who's uh uh uh, uh Andy Circus? Cir- Andy Circus, great acting. Woody Harrelson. I know he was doing the whole Marlon Brando thing, but for the most part, his monologues were really good. Mm. Um, what else? Well, well the the deaf girl, she was good. <laughs> All right. So how would you rate this film, man? I'm so conflicted. You know what I mean? Because everyone's saying this is the best movie in the world. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm like over here like, why do I hate this movie so much? I just, maybe the stars didn't align. Mm. I don't know. Like me and my friends, when we saw that, we were just like crying into our, our, our steak sandwiches. You know what I mean? So none of your friends liked it either? We, they didn't like it as much as we did. There mm. were a lot of, we found a lot of problems with it. Wow. And we were nitpicking it. So you don't recommend people to go see this in theater? <sighs> no, I don't recommend it. If you want to make it a movie night, watch all three films just back to back. Fuck it. Yeah. Okay. But don't see it in theaters. Don't see it in theaters. No. So like Netflix. It's like it. Nef- no, well, rent it from no. What's better than Netflix it? Fuck it. I don't care. Netflix it. Watch him out of order. Watch the watch the last movie first. Watch the sec the first movie second. Then watch the second movie last. Damn, that's so confusing. But sure. Yeah. Uh, words of wisdom by uh, the best film critic in San Jose, Jacob <sighs> Wheels. Jorge, Jorge, mm. I'm the minority. All right, man. Thank you for coming. That's why you have me though. Because uh, affirm- I'm affirmative edgy. action. I'm exactly. edgy. All right. I cut to the chase. All right. I cut through the bullshit, and you know, there's no, there's two bullshits now because I cut it in half. Mm-hmm. You, you're just multiplying the bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you for coming. Yeah. There you go. That is Jacob Wheel's review of War, Planet of the Apes. Uh, like I said way before, this is an old recording of that review. And by this time, I don't believe that film is no longer in movie theaters. But I do believe it's coming out on for... Cons- I, I, you know, I was going to say it's going to be out on DVD and Blu-ray. But I was like, who buys those these days? It's going to be out on Netflix or on HBO. Or any uh, where wherever else you pirate your films from, 
But War of the Planet of the Apes, um, so far, like I said, uh, has garnished a lot of great things about it, but looks like our own Jika Wheels did not enjoy it. So there you have it. Uh, did you see this film? Do you agree? Do you disagree? I'd love to hear your point of view on this film by emailing, emailing me at the JMS Podcast at gmail.com. All right, people, before we go to Rob Roy, one more reminder. I upgraded the Patreon account. Check it out, JMS Podcast Patreon. Check out the rewards. I got some great rewards if you donate and help me make this podcast um, bigger and better. And I think it'll be well worth everybody's while. So go to Patreon and search for JMS Podcast and, uh, and donate. What else can I say? Pledge. Help out. Help out the little man over here. Alright, so let's go with Rob Roy. And uh, like I said again, as I keep repeating myself on this episode, I am melting. And I think uh, I think you can hear us melting as we're talking. So here it is with Rob Roy. <laughs> Rob Roy. Jorge. My buddy Rob Roy. It's true. He has returned. I have returned to the roost. How you been? I've been okay, I think. It's a pretty hot day. I'm barely surviving, but you said it's a good day when you walked in. I'm from L.A. originally, so when it's above 77 degrees, it's a good day. Anything above room temperature. You came back from L.A., huh? I did. Came back because I... (laughs) Meaning this most recent time, or yeah, yes, I did come back, huh. which is a good question. Why, why did you come back? No, but a lot has happened since you were last on this podcast. That's true. Can you refresh my memory as to when that was? Because I want to say it was a year. Oh, yeah, just about okay, about a year or so, maybe more. And, uh, and you've made a, uh, a short film since that's true, you know, you've expanded the film. I mean, the comedy club in San Jose State University. That's true also. So, looks like uh, looks like you have, you were busy. Yeah, things were happening. So, there was definitely some momentum. So, I'm happy about that. In regards to the comedy club, I think what you're referring to is that they now, as an entity, are doing their own comedy shows at San Jose State. In the theater, I will have your podcast listeners know that you originally suggested. Which one? The University Theater. You were like, dude, we should do shows in the University Theater. And Rob Roy, being the pessimist that he is, is like, dude, there's no way we're going to fill 300 seats. This isn't going to happen. And you were like, but you were saying, Jorge, you're not good enough to fill fill in. I was saying we, sense. you might be able to. <laughs> we as an entity do not have those skills, and it just seemed like. Well, to be fair, at the time we just started, right? Yeah. It just like it was barely new. That is true. I had no idea what I was talking about. You were very ambitious. Uh, very, uh, and um, foolish. I like to, I like to think of it as. But now, you've done it for what, two years now? Two, yeah, three years two, now? I want to say two semesters in so, a row. So it's like more of an established entity on campus now. It is. And I think on campus also, but in the heart and minds of the people who um, book the 
venue, which is the important part. Mm-hmm. So they don't like forget because there are other plays that go on. You know, we have to kind of share the space with this semester. There's three plays. Mm-hmm. And also, thankfully, many of them are at the Hammer Theater, mm-hmm. which is much huger. Talk about hard to book venue. That's like probably 400, eh, 400 500 Dude, people. if you could put together a show at the UC, or the University Theater, mm-hmm. which for listeners who don't know is like the biggest theater on, on campus. Well, it was until the Hammer Theater came on board. Uh, I think you'd do okay at the Hammer. Because technically, the UC Theater is much bigger than the San Jose Improv. And San Jose Improv is the biggest uh, comedy club, uh, at least of the improv franchise, in the United States. That's true. And now that I think about it, the kind of form factor of the hammer is very conducive to feeling like it's packed. Hmm. Whereas the UT can feel empty. You know what I mean? Like, you get in there, if there's not 100 people, you're like, uh, this is, the show isn't happening. There's a momentum to shows, you know what I mean? To shows and um, even concerts where if you don't kind of have a critical mass of people, you'll lose people. Like people will walk in and they'll turn around and leave. Mm-hmm. So there's that's kind of a concern that I think um, the young, naive Jorge maybe wasn't thinking about. He's like, <laughs> whatever, dude, just, you know, it's fine. Let's just do it. <laughs> exactly. It'll work, man. (laughs) And then the pragmatic Rob Roy is thinking in terms of like long term. I want people to show up and kind of stay there. I want a show. I don't want, well, people were here. Where were you? You know, that whole, where were you, man? Why didn't you show up? Or whatever. There's, I was aware of that. And I didn't want it to be like crash and burn before we even got a chance to take off. Well, the club the club has changed since, right? I mean, for, for one, I'm, by the time I left, you've managed to get a different advisor who who's more of a fan of right. comedy and who had a more of an active role as the advisor. That's true. Of the of the comedy club in San Jose State, and uh, I think and that thing that helped you kind of get like that venue, right? It did. It actually helped us overcome some hurdles because he was very just on a daily basis kind of um, instigating us to, hey, go talk to that guy. Hey, did you talk to that guy? No, we didn't talk to that guy. Well, well, maybe you should talk to... Oh, look, there's that guy we want to talk to. And then we talked to him. And also, he was instrumental in getting us to collaborate with other clubs and, you know... What clubs did you collaborate with? Well, in particular, they're not called the Improv Club, but... Oh, how did that go? You know the club. I know, but I, I hope you guys had a better experience than I had. We did, apparently. Um, Good. It was, basically it was, hey, you guys should have your meeting before their meeting. And you guys sh- c- should consider doing a show together. Ooh. And we did. How'd it go? And honestly, it worked pretty well. It worked better than I thought it would. Mm-hmm. But the issue that you would think would arise did arise. Which is which what? Is, it's basically a question of culture. Improv people or improv, the improv culture is a little more on the like politically correct side when it comes to humor. There are areas of comedy that they will not explore. End of story. Stand up, on the other hand, people are going to say whatever they want and they don't care if it's offensive. So when you bring an audience telling them, hey, we're going to have comedy and then we show them stand up and then 30 minutes later it's improv it can it worked because the way we did it was 
do the comedy that makes people be quiet first and then do the comedy that makes them kind of be loud or be communicative. Stand-up is more of a listen. Improv is more well, of a... Well, hopefully you laugh. Right, you laugh, <laughs> but you don't necessarily hopefully throw out... you get laugh. <laughs> yes, get laughs. we get laughs, Good. but they don't throw out suggestions. Does that make sense? Like heckling and stuff. Or, no, or, well, when you watch improv, you actively ask for input from the audience. Right. So don't get them talking if you want them to not talk, because as soon as you ask for a suggestion and they're like, Hawaii, and you're like, oh, no, that's not, no, I don't, we don't want to suggest you right now. And they're like, um, brother and sister, whatever it is. Once you get the audience talking, my theory was that you're not going to get them to shut up. So we did it in that order. We did stand up first which was something more conducive to listening. And then afterwards, we just let the improv thing happen. How was the talent? The, has, has the talent changed? The talent is Since, I, since pretty, I've been gone? Are there new people? Is there new blood? Yeah, how's the new blood? How's the new people? What's going on? Because they say that more and more college campuses, campuses are getting a bad rap as far as comedy. You know, there's this, you know, talk of, of stand-up comedians going like, oh, I could never do colleges or whatever because of what you mentioned, of the culture. But you're right, right on in it, and you, you seem to work with it, uh, which is not an easy feat. Yeah, the the type of talent that thrives in a college environment is different than your normal stand-ups because you have to kind of skate that line between I'm offending you or I'm offending someone in the room and because of that you're going to get offended and just kind of so that's part of it that's one side of it is not offending and the other side is you do offend so it's like there's no winning there really is no um, there's no great formula for it I've seen it when it works it works though it almost seems like if you kind of uniformly offend everyone it's it's okay it's when you <laughs> single a group out right. when it gets kind of dicey. Uh-huh. So the people who can thrive in those situations are, I don't, I don't know if this actually translates to real life that they're diplomatic, but that's what I tell myself. Excuse me. I tell myself that these are future people who will work for the UN. Thus, they will be great additions to society. So pay attention. But isn't a diplomatic comedian uh, a bit of an oxymoron? I think a diplomatic comedian. No, I think. Or, or dip- the key is since you're, you know, you're getting them young. You're getting when they're first starting out. Is do you start young? Do you raise them to be diplomatic? Maybe that's the difference. It could be because it's just kind of the way you talk. If you, you just have to have a lot of synonyms and antonyms to know. Okay, is there another way to say this? And basically, that's what it comes down to. If you're, if you think you're about to offend someone, give it another second, say it in a different way, and probably you can get, you can probably get away with it. Hmm. I mean, if you think of anything, any offensive line, there's a euphemism, there's a synonym that you could have used that would placate some people. Don't say lesbian. Say, um. What's a, what's a worse term? Bulldike, right? Don't say um, homophobia. Say, um, what is it? Um, s- scared of the gays, right? That sounds more offensive. So there's ways of saying stuff without offending. And I think that's all. That's what it comes down to. 
you're communicating verbally to an audience. You're trying to get across an idea. There are many ways to do it. If you do it the, and usually the easy way is the offensive way, Mm -hmm. the stereotype way. But I think there's, I don't know if there's new talent. Are you saying a new talent as in being able to do colleges is a new type of talent? Or are you talking about the people who are doing it? Did you want me to? People who are doing it now. Well, we have, they're all college kids and I think you're right in that they're kind of steeped in the politically correct thing already. So I think they already know how to talk nicely to people. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of slip in there and they're able to say things without saying things. Also, they're kind of like inoffensive themselves. They're not, you don't look at these guys and they're mostly guys. You don't look at these guys and think, oh, he seems to have to hold ill will toward this group. I feel I feel attacked by this person. It's like, no, you're looking at like the, the wussiest of dudes. Um, they can't fight. You know, they can never. <laughs> well, that's that's why I feel it's the, uh, another big difference between improv uh, performers and and stand up performers. Is that improv performers tend to be like a personality people, hmm. like go getters, go you know, kind of positive and, and all right, let's do this, let's do that, and someone's always trying to be the alpha male, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere. Whereas in stand-up, it's like kind of, kind of not really a personality. You can't, I don't think you can really survive having an a personality in stand-up because you're gonna deal with a lot of shit. Yes. You know what I'm saying? On your own, yeah. you're, you're gonna bomb. No matter how good you are, how early on good you are, you're gonna bomb more than you're gonna succeed, and that's part of it. And I think it just it goes to it just beats you down if you're if you're constantly having trying to have an a personality mm-hmm. so that's why i feel like like you said like a, a lot of stand-ups are you know we're the misfits the ones who who usually are the quiet ones and now they have an opportunity to to really see what we feel mm. and stuff like that and i mean i don't want to say beta males because i think that's a uh, you know connotative but you know just you know people who don't have that same what's the word i'm looking for outlet or outlet yeah <laughs> yeah i think there is definitely a type what, what I've heard tell is that improv people are a little more social and group oriented and also a little more intellectual. Oh, so, fuck you. What does that mean? That, well, no, you crossed the line. What, what intellectual? I'll say yeah, the opposite. It's, um, well, because uh, improv frequently is like a thinking person's comedy, I guess. This is what I've heard. Maybe we should call someone and get a no, second. No, no lifelines here. No. <laughs> That's, this is what I've heard, that it's like... Um, what is it? Theater, a thinking person's theater type of theater, and stand up is a little more. Um, I don't know, not emotional necessarily, but different, reactionary. It just seems to attract different types of people, mm. and you just kind of have to deal with that. And different types of people attract different audiences. Let me just tell you this for sure: um, when it comes to the social thing, the improv people seem to bring a bigger audience because they were. The nature of improv is that it requires people. You can't do improv alone, right? In their meetings, there's a ton of people because without people. There's no one to play against. There's no one to uh, use as your audience. So there's a there's like a built-in audience for improv to an extent. 
that's why I say they're a little more on the um, social side because they bring people. Which is interesting because I would think that the biggest draw will be stand-up. I think possibly entertainment-wise, stand-up is the biggest draw because it's like a product, so to speak. Uh It's like a knowable thing. You're like, okay, this guy or girl is going to go up there and talk for five to ten minutes. And I know punchlines are going to be indicated to an extent. And there's kind of an outline to what they're going to do. Whereas improv is like games. It's like, um, go up on stage. It's hard to know the line between audience and performer. So people just get up there and they play, kind of. And it's hard to know, okay, is this the comedy? Is this the thing? Is this, should I be laughing now? And I know that seems kind of crass to think, oh, people, they know when to laugh. They laugh when it's funny. But unfortunately, sometimes people need indications. So improv isn't like necessarily the biggest draw from that point of view mm-hmm. but it definitely is a draw from like performer point of view because it's fun improv mm-hmm. is fun holy cow I have had the most fun in an acting class doing improv mm-hmm. uh, to the point where I was like doubled over on the floor laughing here's the thing it wasn't funny to anyone else though it was just funny to me <laughs> so is that true for everything though? Uh, I <laughs> hope not but that's the thing uh, like for me I I agree. I had a lot of fun with improv. Like, if you were the right people, right? So I think, I think for the audience, improv is the funnest show you can go to. St- next to stand up, because stand up, like you said, your role as an audience is more of an observer. Uh, however, it, it's interesting that also that I, I don't know that I, I feel I feel. I have a hard time really fitting in with the improv crowd. Yeah, dude. I and you know you. me. I have trouble fitting with anywhere. You name it, I, I, I probably don't feel like I fit in there. Whether it's music, whether it's comedy, whether it's whatever. But especially with improv, I just... Like like I said, they're 2A personality for me. Mm. You know, sometimes it gets exhausting to yeah. be around them. That's true. And I, and I got improv friends. So I got friends who are improv. It's like, I have black friends. But I have friends <laughs> who are improv, and, and I could deal with them one-on-one. But sometimes when they're together, I'm like, oh, I can't do this. Yeah, too much. I, I, I got to get out of here. I hear you. Because uh, the thing is, they're always trying to be funny. They're always mm. on the nose. Like, dude, can we just talk about life? <laughs> can we just talk about, you know, whatever? It's like, no, they're always like, you know, yeah. like, you know, always trying, looking for that witty thing to say. Yeah. It's like, oh, shut the fuck up, dude. Yes. And that rings true for me also. I feel like. <clears throat> and one of the things that they teach you in improv is the development of scenes. Uh, improvisationally and it's not supposed to be fast necessarily but that's the way almost every improv person I've run into uh, takes it as quick fast you know joke fast instead of kind of a scene developing slowly where I say something then you say something then I say something and then the story builds but they don't do that I've come to realize that it depends on your teacher depends on who is teaching stand-up sorry who is teaching improv or who's guiding the group that person has a lot of power as to like how the people develop and what kind of culture develops hmm. now the improv scene in san jose is growing okay. uh there's the emergence of, of the american improv theater you got comedy sports happening okay um have you have you noticed the shift i haven't noticed a shift but i have noticed 
a like a shift in tone, like in the way they do things. I no, not necessarily. That. It's just that it's becoming more ingrained in the local culture here. I have noticed that the more improv that kind of um, bubbles up, the more uh, I, I I'd say that that's a positive thing. But I don't know if there's like a ton. If that's what you were saying, like there's two, right? Is that what it is? Two improv theaters. I don't know if that's like a lot because Chicago and even Portland has more. I would say. Mm-hmm. I'd like to. I I hope that it makes a difference in the overall comedy culture. But I don't know if that's true. Like, does it help stand-up comedians be more improvisational? Does it like? Uh, leak. Well, I think it's genius when I when I see uh, comedians uh, becoming a hybrid. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good example is Ryan Sudakran. Uh What's that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he has an amazing character right now that he he performs. He performs as one of these um, uh, these typical uh, techies who are like uh, motivational speakers. Mm-hmm. And he just tells the character, goes, "Tell me anything. I made a nap out of it. Anything." And, the, and he encourages the crowd to yell out subjects. You know, they'll be like, oh, bananas. And he'll be like, oh, I made a nap for banana called something, something, something. He makes it super hilarious. <laughs> but like that, that, like already that tells me that he's combining both stand-up. Uh, 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 he has like a, it's a stand-up foundation, but with improv uh, layered upon it. Yes. And it's it's very, um, how can I say this? I, I, I was like very inspired by it. I was like, wow, like he's really changing it up. And some and some people and some stand-ups do that. Robin Williams was very very well known to be doing that as well. Oh right, yeah, kind of like improvisational monologues based on kind of subject matter. Yes, Ryan Sudakran is one of the stars now, I guess, of the improv at SJSU. Dude, he, he is he? Yeah, and he really he really he really took to it. Like I was watching him in meetings. I'm just like, damn, how does he do that? Do- I knew from the beginning that guy was a great comedy performer and writer. Like, remember, he was probably one of the original uh, at the, at the stand-up comedy club with us. That's true. And he took a hiatus, but like, I, I was like, dude, you got to get back into it. Like, he, yeah. knew he was legitly funny. Yeah. And and he's doing some great stuff in, in the stand-up world right yes. now as well. And he, and he has a brother. He has two brothers. So look out for He has one brother. That. He has, as far as I know, he has two. He has. Sham? Sham and another one, a younger brother. Really? Who apparently is funnier than both of them. Interesting. I don't know what they got in the water in Fremont, but something's going on. Well, I don't, something fucked up with the with raising kids if they're both trying to be comedians. I know, right? <laughs> I'm just I'm getting right. Suicide <laughs> is in your future. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to let you know that. But saying that, though, I mean, again, I don't want people to feel like I'm putting down improv. I'm just saying that I, I don't do well in that environment yeah. but I respect it and if anything I'm trying to work a way to bring improv to Frascati again because we, we attempted it a couple times um, didn't really stick mm. so now I'm like thinking of like maybe I just I'm going to have to create an in-house troupe yeah that could be and, and of course we are very limited because it's a small stage yeah um, but I, I was figuring well there has to be a way I mean at the, because I've talked to different improv people about it, you know, trying to bring them on board, and they all tell them the same thing. It's like, well, you know, stage is too small. It's not really meant for improv. But I'm like, well, it wasn't meant for stand up either. Yeah, it was. What well, was it meant for? The piano. Yeah, it's, it was. It. it was a music music venue. 
Yeah, I agree. I think improv... And we're reaching our 30th anniversary at Friscotti. 30? Third. I was like, oh my God. Where's the time gone? Yeah. Okay, third year. That's good too. I mean, that's impressive also. But when you compare it with 30, it's not quite as impressive. But three years is awesome. I love that every year or every so often you throw in something new, which is... I think think that's important. I think improv is a great match the one thing that I could say is it should kind of be tailored to the environment there yeah okay if the stage is a little small well what do we do can we do something else there are many different types of improv I don't think it has to be in any one way it doesn't have to be um, on a stage it does seem like it should be on the microphone though some kind of improv using microphones in a coffee shop that's really the only restrictions you absolutely have to have. Like a barista. That's improv, right? What they say. That'd be kind of funny to mic some people behind the behind the counter. That'd be interesting. I think you're mostly going to get them uh, calling out orders. Yeah. Who ordered the panini? Yeah. Oh, oh, they're trying to perform on stage. Yeah, that'd be kind of... Uh, <laughs> see, I, for me, I would see something funny in that because when they ask you your name... And they say a fake name or they tell you a fake order. Who ordered the panini with, what is it, with the, what is that thing that you um, wipe on your butt when it hurts? Preparation H. Who ordered the panini with, with extra preparation H? Stupid whatever. And that's another thing with improv that's hard, I think, for maybe stand-ups to get over. You're not always funny. Improv is not always funny. Improv frequently is not funny. It's kind of... I guess improv is more about engagement. Kind of. Entertainment. Yeah. Even if it's not funny, you want to keep them engaged? Yes. They're interested. Like, are you saying something interesting? Mm Mm-hmm. Because in stand-up, it doesn't work if you have to be funny. Absolutely. You don't have a choice. No, interesting... If you're not funny, why the fuck are you up there? Yeah. You can be... They like interesting. Interesting is where they'll look at you. You know, they'll see you. But funny is where they're laughing. <clears throat> they give. They care. Yeah. I, improv has like a different. What's the word? Um, not glass ceiling. It has a different kind of um, formula for success. Jesus. Sorry about that. I got got them in the background. What was that, Jorge? I'm gonna go figure it out. Yeah, talk to the... Turn on the fan while you're... Oh, the neighbor's Goodness. Ooh, that's good. I felt a fan. I felt like a breeze. Ooh. Yeah, and improv's not really something... It's not really something you can learn. You just have to do it. Sorry about that. And that's the... See, that's one of the dangers of having the windows open. <laughs> I know. It's like you can hear everything and then but you can also hear everything oh that's good now we haven't mentioned though that you've graduated now congrats I do thank you yes so you're no longer running the stand up comedy club at SJSU it's true you started this thing and you had to let it go I did how was that process for you it was weird at first um not now but the process of letting go of the decision making to the point where it could affect the future of the club. I think that's the hardest part. 
like, oh, okay, these new the new president is going to decide when we meet. And for me, meeting days were really important because you don't want it to be on a... You want to kind of skirt the line between having the most amount of people possible, but also having it be a day that's convenient for you. Man, these dudes right off the bat were like, you know what, uh, Tuesday's easier for me. I was like, oh, okay, it's, I guess we're going to change the date because it's convenient for you. And we did, but to me that was scary. I was like, this doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to put my own personal preferences ahead of the preferences of a group. That was the hard part, dude. Just like letting go and be like, all right, you, this is on you guys now. And yet not completely um, abandoning, still showing up and doing jokes. And that was another kind of tough part, right? One thing is letting go, letting other people make mistakes, make decisions. And then it's also letting go, taking a step back and being what they used to be. Just being a stand-up. Just going up and doing jokes. That's it. Asking for feedback. That's it. Well, that's a true testament of how well of an organization you put together is, can this thing survive without you? That's true. And I think like for me, that's the biggest thing I worry about for Scotty. It's like eventually I am going to you know, let go of it, move on. But it's like, you know, who, who can I leave it behind with? No, and no. I said I, I've already left it behind with, with a couple of people or two, and they did the best they could, but it's a very demanding room. And it, I guess it, it takes a special – I like to think of – a specific kind of direction with it mm. you know you can't really run it like a bar right you really have to like uh, pay attention to it and to the audience to the baristas to the business and so on so I, I was like you know it's just like my biggest question once I let this go will this keep going without me I know dude like will it crash and burn the week after you leave because someone <laughs> didn't do well yours is very high maintenance I guess I would say that room it can be you gotta like you have multiple parties that need to be kept Appeased. happy. Yes. Appeased, yeah. Exactly. So that's, thankfully, with the SGSU stand-up club, something I never had to deal with personally, although I was concerned about it. I was more concerned, oh, are you guys going to put it on a night when people won't show up? You, it's more of a like, oh, if you guys go up there and say whatever you want, are you going to ruin this? Are you going to like um, make it so no one else gets to do stand-up here ever again? Because that is that's a realistic fear. That's like that happens. Mm-hmm. I never had that, thankfully. Well, another great accomplishment is that you guys managed to collaborate with the San Jose State University Film Production Society, and you guys made a film. That is true. I guess um, you guys do certain things, and then we do other hard things. I guess, and that was hard too. It was a similar experience in that. If I step back, will this thing blow up? And this is more as a director rather than a, uh, what would you call yourself? Like a promoter kind of promoter of Frascati as a knight. Producer? Yeah, as a producer, you kind of have to be hands-on to make sure no one ruins it uh, week by week. But as a director, it was more of a, okay, can I just get the cast together, get the locations? Did you write the script as well? I had a hand in writing the script. I did not write it myself. Can I do that? Can I put all those things together and just like hand it over to the film production society and it will happen? 
without me fussing and it really it did work so I don't know kind of like re uh, invigorates your um, what's the word your uh, faith in humanity when you can just get a script get a cast and put it in the hands of some pretty professional people and they make a movie for you that you then are able to edit into a finished form which it is finished and it is on its way through the internet to my uh, what's the word funder we did a campaign to kind of like pay for some of the expenses and uh, one of the prizes was you'll you can see the first cut you can see the cut before anyone else so that is happening right now so yeah we made a, a comedy film which is for the listeners, what, what was it about? It was about a fictional nonprofit who was trained, who is training their new batch of uh, people how to call and get donations from uh, listeners, and they do it poorly. Not only do not only do they do it poorly, but they they do it so poorly that they. Um, what is it? They, um, the, the eyes of the law are soon upon them. And I will not say anything beyond that because I think it will be too... It will, that'll be giving away too much. I mean, it's one thing writing a comedy script. It's nothing directing it. Did you find like you had to adjust? Yeah. Um, or oh, improv on, on, like on, on shooting day? We did do... Of, of what is funnier? We did, yes, absolutely. The what is funnier thing, that was a... That was a concern all the time, but the thing that pops in uh, just popped into my head was making room in the script for your locations so things make sense. Because you can easily get too descriptive in your script and say, okay, this needs to be a um, coffee shop at this day, and this, we're going to cut to the beach, and this, and in the script I was able to say, okay, it's an office of some type and it's a okay this is an elevator of some type things that are generic enough that you can find them anywhere especially on uh, campuses that was the big thing for me I did not want to go into this scrambling for locations the whole time were there some times where we needed something funnier yes but luckily we had people on and this was new for me had people on set that were kind of I don't know, good on their feet. They were, um, they had ideas in the moment. And we, so we did a lot of um, extra takes. And then in editing, we kind of, we would flip through them and we'd be like, okay, which of these is best? It was just um, alternate takes, basically. That was the whole, that was the important part. And this film was screened at the uh, Film Production Society uh, Film Festival. That is true. It was um, May something ish. How, how was the reaction to it? Well, that's an interesting note. A lot of the jokes worked. Some of them didn't. And from that, so the screening was good overall. But I would, um, I wish that there could be another one. Because it actually was a very magical moment getting 100 plus people in a theater to watch your film collectively. That actually is much more rare than you would think and I think that's why theater is popular because it's an easy way to 
get people to all watch the same thing. But from that, we took we took away some feedback, some really valuable feedback. There's certain jokes that worked. Man, there were some jokes that worked better than I thought they would. And some of them didn't work at all, so we had to kind of compress them. Any of your favorites that didn't work? Any of the what, sorry? Any of your favorites that, you, that did not work? Uh, um, yeah, we had a... Let's see, it was a verbal joke about... You know, now that I think about it, I don't know that there's any that didn't work as much as we kind of, there was a couple that we had to trim for time, and there was a couple, you know, they were mostly sight gags, like, oh, look, um, cut to a reveal of she took her uh, headscarf off, turns out she has a full head of hair. She doesn't have cancer. They're kind of... Um, what? Yeah, exactly. And then that didn't work as a joke because it was like, wait, what? Is this a joke? Is this? Are we laughing at cancer here? Whatever. So I kind of compressed it. Um, there was a couple of those gags that just kind of didn't... There's some that were... They weren't like amazing, but they were necessary. Like, for instance, there was... They called one guy, and he was in the middle of sneaking out of his house. And then at the end of the call, he like gets in a minivan and takes off. It's like a little gag that's like, oh, that's funny. He was, he just kind of like. The whole call was about um, infidelity and about how like, hey, is that your wife? Are you with your wife? Are you with your wife? And then at the end of it, he um, skirts away in a minivan. Just little stupid gags that didn't blow anyone away. But they were necessary, kind of like for the story, continuity, and I just kind of enjoyed them, so I let them happen. I don't know if there was anything like... It was back like improv, you're laughing at something that's only funny to you. That is a... And that is a definite problem, because you're watching this thing in this dude's room, you know, he's like in downtown San Jose, it's me and this guy, we're watching it over and over and over and over and over. I think that's funny. Is that funny? I think so. Yeah, that's kind of funny. I don't think that's funny. I don't remember that funny. That's why... It's important to have the screening as a yardstick. People laughed at that. I remember that got a good response. Otherwise, it's like, I don't know if this would have gone as well had we um, not had something objective to fall back on. So I'm thankful for that, the screening. I really would like more of those um, kind of, they have a word for it, focus groups kind of. Mm -hmm. Oh, dude. Yeah. I recommend to any filmmaker uh, especially ones that don't have a really um, strong kind of narrative thread that they have to follow like well you know we're going back in the future uh, he's got to play the guitar we got to get him back in the DeLorean if you don't have if you have some wiggle room where it's like well how do we do this maybe we should do it this way a, a uh, focus group is so helpful to get it to be funny because you have people who are giving you genuine you hope giving you genuine reactions to your stuff I know a lot of directors don't like they don't want to be told this isn't funny or anything but I'm a fan alright you working on anything else right now? so we have the film right and we have uh, the stand up club is still happening I guess the thing that I'm working on now is T-shirts. 
I'm doing funny t-shirts. Oh, that's right. You're talking about that. So I got a website. It's coming together. And I'm It's going like memes, to... but on t-shirts. Pretty... I would say memes is an accurate-ish way to say it. Um, they're kind of very simple, visual um, images that are jo- like jokes or plays on words or something. Yeah, it's pretty... Um, give you an example this is a good example there's one t-shirt where there's a picture of a kangaroo and what does it say George it's a kangaroo and what what kind of where it would say the country what country does it say Australia close what kangaroo no say it you know what it is uh, it's a kangaroo this is a joke remember this is a shirt that's a joke it's a kangaroo and the country name under it is Kenya close Congo close I'll give you a hint go ahead Austria Hungary uh-huh. yeah that that same Austria yeah Austria yeah are you not aware of the lineage of that joke it's a kangaroo yeah, yeah. and it's and the country it represents is Austria Austria Oh, because instead of Australia, it's yeah, Austria. Exactly. It's that um, put another shrimp on the Barbie, you know, when you hear someone's from Austria or what was the other one? There was another joke about Austria. I'm Austrian. We better go. Was it something down under? It's a joke about kangaroos being from Australia instead of Austria. That's it. That's the shirt. That's the whole shirt. How many uh, ideas do you have ready for these shirts? I've got about 20-ish. And then I have more that I'm waiting to unleash. Some of them aren't as clever. Some of them are just kind of arty. And some of them are just kind of cool looking. Do you draw them yourself? I do not draw them myself. I find them um, in clip art collections. I steal them basically and they're royalty free so it's really not theft and I um, print them on demand so that is that's how it's done so that's my new thing and hopefully that'll be you know that's something that you can sell do you have a name for this uh, company I do D D robe I think that's a French word for can you look it up real quick it's de robe? De robe. De robe? I think it's de robe. It's D E R O B E. It means, uh, in French, it means to steal. And obviously, I think in Spanish, it means um, maybe stolen, right? De. It's like de. And also it kind of means robs. Mm, uh, of rob. Yeah, of rob. Exa- yeah, of rob, exactly. So, and it also means, kind of to Americans, it means get undressed. To, to derobe. Yeah, to derobe or disrobe. So it's kind of got all those connotations, right? Take your clothes off. Theft. They're my favorite subjects, clearly. So, um, and there's a website for it. Which is um, Rob Roy Rhodes 
equipment. That's the kind of. Um, is it live right now? That it is live right now. So you go to. Can R, I check it out? You can. It's r3e.com. It's so, live. Oh, I don't know if the images are on. Live. You should do r. No, just r3e.com. You don't need the live. Just do um, the letter R, the number three, the letter E dot com. Oh, I hear what you mean. I see what you mean by live. And hit enter. And so the R3E stands for R3E. Rob, Rob, Roy, Rob Roy Rhodes Equipment. And De Robe, or oh, I don't know how you say that, whatever. It, it's, it's like the French kind of clothing company name, which I think is just kind of classic. So far you got five? Yeah, um, the and the Austria shirt is up there. What I need to do now? All oh right, and there's the National Month Month, and um, what's the third one? Um, there's an angry teddy bear picture. There's also a a bear on the phone picture. Yeah, you just pick fun stuff, and then there's one what? where you think it's a Mustang, but it's not. It's actually a Corvette, but it says Mustang. So I'm going to, now that I have released this to the world through your podcast, I need to update these images yeah. so you can see the images of the t-shirts. Okay. And it's on demand, huh? Yeah, it's print on demand, which is cool. You can just click on it and it sends it to a company in LA actually called Printful and they fulfill it. They print it and they package it and they even put a sticker that I print that says, you know, it's from me. And then I make, I don't know, $4 or something like that. Out of $20, you make $4. I know, exactly. Yeah, I know. But I'm trying to get some merch for this podcast. I'm saying, oh, so much work to it. It's work and it takes effort. But if you have, there's like a critical mass where if you have enough of it, you really can make some decent money. I just realized, because you did some of the um, clothing for theater, Yeah. right? Fashion designing. Right. So you're a bit of a, yeah, some fashion designing experience. Background. That's true. You. Yeah. You ever thought of fashion designing, not, not just t-shirts, but other clothing? I have. And that is interesting to me. Jackets. And um, I would say that's about all. So part of me thinks like, oh, this would be a cool kind of business. Do the t-shirts, but then also sell jackets that go good with the t-shirts. Beyond that, I know fashion construction and design, and it's a pain in the butt. Um when Why? You, well, because when you do pants, there's so many different body types. It's not. You go to the store and you're like, "Oh, look, there's five pairs of pants. There's five sizes." Wrong. There's different size butts. There's different size legs. There's different size of everything. So, unless you're doing kind of stretch pants, which I'm open to, it's it's harder to find. This is getting probably a little inside um, baseball, but you have to figure out which size you want to go for you can't do every size you have to be like all right i'm going to do whatever brazil brazilian butts let's do that and then you got to decide um shoes are easier shoes are like you know you have half sizes that's as bad as it gets socks oh my god socks are even easier because it's like two sizes there's like a nine to twelve and then a like twelve to fourteen or whatever that's the thing that kind of d motivates me about doing fashion is that there's so many um there's so many kind of variable not variables no i think variables might be the right word there's there's too many kind of options t-shirts on the other hand very simple 
was like small through large. And even then that's kind of pushing it. There's more sizes than even that. If you think about, um, shoulder size and that's the thing I know so much. It's like your shoulder width and then you're kind of like uh, torso length. Uh-huh. That's one size. So if you think about it, if there's five sizes, that means that there needs to be like five kind of like widths of shoulders, but there's not. There's like, you're probably like a 44 or something like that. Shirt size? Yeah. Do you know what your shirt size is? Dude, I've been eating so much. I, I let myself go. <laughs> I'm like an extra large See, now. And then there's that too. There's the belly thing that is part of a t-shirt also. This is too many options. So for me, I feel like, dude, let's just make t-shirts. And then let's make jackets because jackets are a little more forgiving when it comes to sizes because you frequently put it over something. Um, the sleeves don't matter as much. So that's what I'm leaning toward. And I have a ton of jacket ideas. Like leather jackets? Or uh-huh. Yeah, 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 exactly. Cool. Although I don't know if I would do leather because this is more difficult. I would do more cloth-based ones. Okay. But yes, that is totally something that I think about. And I also think, oh, dude, if I could do fashion, I could just kind of sell them in like online easily and kind of use comedy or music or whatever as a way to promote the fashion line. So mm, that's a thing. Our next podcast could be all about, you know, me hustling threads at the, what is it? The swap meet or something. So we'll see, dude. (laughs) We become a fashion mogul. Mogul? That'd be awesome. Mogul. Yes, that is what I'm... It, and if you look at the clues on my website, it's totally what I'm shooting for. The fact that I have like a French name for my company. It's like, hello, who are you trying to impress? <laughs> uh, Yves Saint Laurent or whatever. And the fact that I have the um, this, the kind of like uh, subtitle is like the, the Rob Roy Rhodes equipment. So it's like... In my head, I'm stealing from like Bill Blass and um, what is that? like Valentino or something, you know. Well, I feel like those serious fashion lines, like those who are like, like you know, like he's like Valentino. It's like it's, it seems kind of lucrative. Oh yeah. Because it's not so much about the clothing; it's more about who's wearing the clothing. That's true. You know, like I, I've heard uh, of you know. If you know, if a Kardashian wears a certain kind of dresses, like that, that fashion line of dresses it goes big or something yeah, like that. Mm-hmm. And I think if you kind of if you use that logic in T-shirts, it's how you can sell one T-shirt, like sell millions of them by someone wearing it. Well, I think for you maybe it's like have, I don't know. Let's say there's, because I know this happens sometimes, even in stand-up comedy specials where uh, certain fashion lines. Actually, I'm not too sure about comedy specials, but there are sponsors who are like will provide you the suit. Oh man! To if like if someone's making a show of some kind, will sponsor your suit for this show. Like let's say someone was hosting the Oscars or something, it's like oh, we'll provide this the suit of the host. I love that. Right. So you got the host looking good with the suit, mm-hmm. and then hopefully it's someone of influence, yeah. you know, and you know their followers might you know try to get those kind of suits. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, dude. Like if I, at least on a local level, I think the best way to go is musicians, because it's easy, right? Have a mus- musician wear your fashion line at a gig, take pictures of them performing with their t-shirt on, and you got their followers that could jump on your yes. thing going on. Yeah, and if you had money, sponsorship money, oh man, this would be 
easy because all you got to do is find people who are kind of visible skaters. That'd be so fun to just like have a team of skaters. Just like, skating around like yeah. a gang. <laughs> oh, yeah. With a same t-shirt. Yeah. With a same t-shirt. <laughs> like terrorizing a neighborhood. <laughs> where, are you, where are you? Who are you guys? Whatever. Like Bones Brigade. That's obviously a taken. That name is taken. We're not going to be able to use Bones Brigade. But some kind of um, crew. Oh, that'd be so awesome. Because really all you need is like visibility. Someone who's like. Um, doing something that people see skateboarding people sponsor skaters people sponsor like basketball players I think you have to uh, have to give the illusion that this is what people want to wear totally or like to wear yeah you have to be on the edge of kind of like what's cool and I think that's where skaters would come in handy because they they're younger usually and a little more uh, fashion forward. From my experience, skaters tend to be trendsetters too. But regardless, I think sponsoring is one way to go. If I don't go that way, I just need to get the t-shirts to people who can kind of um, present them to others. Mm-hmm. Maybe comedians. You know that I don't think that's horrible. There's there are people who have t-shirts that they give to people, and then they you know. They rock them because they like the person who gave them the t-shirt or they just wear the t-shirt because, well, it's probably the only reason because you would like someone. But I think comedians could work. But musicians is a great idea because they're more, uh, what's the word? Not available, but they're a little more present in the community, I guess, right? Who? Musicians. Yes. So I guess you just got to find um, find that niche that works for you, you know, that like gets you the people. Ultimately, you got to get people to go to the website and buy the shirts. And that I think from there, the rest of it should kind of um, work toward that goal. So we'll see, dude. Maybe I'll have to like hustle these shirts at podcast hosts or something. Hey, I don't dude. know because nobody could see what kind of shirt I'm wearing. I know exactly. I could be doing this in my pajamas. Are, this is not your pajamas. Oh, no, this is, no. This is a t-shirt. Although one or two times I, I I was almost in pajamas. Yeah, dude. I had a guest. Oh my god, dude. Nick of time. Like I, I scheduled a ca- a podcast guest at uh-huh. eleven. Bad news. I forgot what I did. No, it's good. Oh. It's usually good. It's, it's eleven in the morning. Yeah, that's early. You know. Uh, well, the thing is, I think I partied a little bit too much on the night before, oh. and I woke up at literally at like at ten fifty. So by the time I got, I got up and somewhat put my some clothes together, I heard the knocking on the door. They show up at your studio and you're like, "Hi." Yeah, yeah pretty much. And like, like literally, like minutes away from waking up, there they are. I'm like, oh, I try, I try to be as professional. You know, when you barely wake up, you still sound groggy. You look groggy. Yeah. Like, oh, how's it going? Studio's over there. Let's do this. It's funny because I listened to the episode. I'm like, for the first good like 20 minutes, you can just hear me sounding all groggy, like just trying to formulate words, and then I I start waking up. (laughs) Welcome. But uh, all right, man. Uh, I think we're we're good to go. Yeah, I feel like this was a good one. <clears throat> yeah, you you okay? I know I know you had some uh, reservations. Yeah, it was more like I thought I was gonna get tired in the middle of it. I feel like 
I don't know if it's old age or what, but um, when it gets hot and when I've got like limited energy, I got to kind of like um, parse it out um, nicely. Otherwise, I can easily kind of like fall asleep in the middle of something. So hmm. I did not want that to happen to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome, sir. Uh, Rob Roy, I think you're the, uh, the the most returning guests. Yeah. And then it's the Alec Baldwin of... Um, <laughs> SNL. Yeah, the Alec Baldwin of Jorge's podcast. Pretty much. I love that. And uh, I look forward for the next one. Yeah, dude, I'm a fan of Alec Baldwin also. All right, later. Later. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Rob Roy. All right, people, that's it for today. I hope you guys are surviving this Labor Day weekend. Please stay hydrated. I would love to have you guys come back as listeners on the next episode and not have you guys have a heat stroke and and kind of give up on life. That would really suck. Wow, that got dark. All right, people, till next week. Next week, we have an artist, another good friend of mine, and I'm pretty sure you guys are going to enjoy her work so stay tuned until next week